we are looking in, in verses 10 of Philippians 3 through 15. If you were here last week and Pastor Brad was teaching, he ended up in, in verse 15 and 16. We want to pick up there because these couple of verses are like the epicenter of Christianity through which everything revolves of the Christian's life. And Paul from a Roman prison was writing about how important this was to him. And we want to get, get this this morning and grab this as we enter into the rest of the message here. And when you think of an epicenter, often you think of an earthquake and how it is where the two plates come together. This is the place that the, the earth cracks and all of a sudden, Devastation takes place, and all kinds of lines go a lot of different directions. But as we look in the Word of God, we'll see a different kind of an epicenter, a place where so much comes together at one place. And today, we, will, we could say this becomes like the core of the gospel, the central focus of the Word of God. You take Wall Street as an example if we're looking in finances, and really Wall Street is the epicenter of the financial uh, world in which we know in America and possibly the entire world because as goes Wall Street, so goes the world. Other epicenters I think of that are just in front of us this morning is the epicenter of Israel. When you study biblical prophecy, at the core of all biblical prophecy is the teaching of Israel, past, present, and future. And as you study more and more on the nation of Israel, you will recognize that God's movement is running through that land in some of the most amazing ways. And here we find a core truth that just keeps circulating through Israel. Rome, the Roman Empire was that way. When we look at the Roman Empire, I remember reading different times in Roman history that almost every road outside of Rome would lead back to Rome. It was the center. It was the place, the epicenter of the Roman world at that time as they ruled. And out of Rome came all of the power that we'll even find in the Bible at different places. The Christian home, what an epicenter. It was just a couple nights ago we got together here and we just turned this place kind of upside down and made tables going this way and we had tacos and tortillas and all kinds of salsa and we had children running everywhere, but you know what we had in here is we had just a whole lot of volunteers. And it was a night just to bless the volunteers and to fellowship together and enjoy a great time together. But really, as I was looking out here, what I saw was so many homes that represented what God is doing, not only in this world, but in this church. Because out of these homes come churches and ministries and that which flows in the most amazing ways to the glory of God. But as we looked this morning, we're going to linger. We're not going to go very far. I kept thinking, well, let's see if I can get through the chapter, but I'm not going to try. I just want to take some time right here. Uh, it's one of the things I love in this book of Philippians. It's like, just stop and soak. Stop and let God speak. Stop and let God catch us where we're at. Because there's so many places in this book of Philippians that is so much full of treasure. And we'll find it here as we just linger through the 16th verse. 
Now, Paul is writing this from the Roman prison, and he says that I, he, he shares the passion that for those of you that were here last week heard toward the end of the message, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformable to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the de dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already became perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold for that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard by which we have obtained. You can sense within the writing of Paul the heartbeat that was so deep that was coming within his, his natural confinement even, and it just would not let him go. It was like a major in Paul's life. It isn't that you just find it here. You find it throughout the Bible. But in Paul's heart was this heartbeat that he just wanted to know Jesus more and more and more and more. He couldn't get enough of the Lord. It wasn't, didn't matter how it was. There was a spiritual hunger and thirst in Paul's heart that just flowed through the Bible. And that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 even says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. But as we enter here in verse 10, he says that I may know him. And let's stop right there because Paul uh, says an awful lot right there. He says that I may know him. Notice he doesn't say that I would know about him. That I would be able to articulate him. That I would be able to conceptually present who he is. Paul begins and says that I may know him. This is more, this is deeper, this is far greater. Paul is entering into a passion of his heart that says, I want more than just head knowledge. It's more than classroom information. It's more than just being able to articulate several points of the Christian faith. The apostle is saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. It's right at the forefront of his heart as he, he enters in. In John 17, verse 13, you'll see a verse that it's easy for myself to go over quickly, and some of you also, I'm sure. When Jesus, speaking to his disciples shortly before he would go to the cross, he says this, this is life eternal, that you may know, you, that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Notice how big that was to Jesus. 
He said, this is really the summation of life. And as Paul is here, I believe he's also professing something that could, could be realized at Philippi, just like it could be realized at Calvary, just like it could be realized in every church, and that is, I could go to church, I can be a Christian, I can live my Christian life, and I can admit it, I can miss him. I can sit in the pew, I can preach sermons, I can articulate, I can go to Bible studies, and I can miss him. And Paul says, the passion of my heart is to know him. I want more than simply about him. I want to know him. But Paul begins to break that down in different ways. You know, one of the things I did with my son one day is we went to the Creation Museum there in Kentucky, and maybe some of you have been there. Uh, and I went, and we had been there as a family, I don't know how many years before, maybe six or seven, and it was pretty easy to say, you know, I'll go with you because you have free tickets from the school, so let's go to the Creation Museum. But once we got to the Creation Museum, the Lord spoke, and he said, this is more than just going another time to the museum. It is going, going to meet him. Matter of fact, what is really impressive about that museum is how much is put together to take an individual who's visiting to bring them directly into a personal encounter with the living God. It takes little children. They have all kinds of little places to play. They have all kinds of little hands-on things. They have expanded it in many ways, and this isn't just a promotion. It's just simply saying, wow, this is about knowing him. And here as Paul is, is here, he's in prison. Think about that. Hanging out with a bunch of condemned prisoners, going to die. That Rome didn't keep the prisoners in those prisons long. And here Paul is saying, in this prison, one passion of my heart that will not let go is to know him. And you know what else he's saying? These prison walls can't take away that passion. They're not thick enough. They're not high enough. I can pursue the Lord Jesus Christ in the most adverse circumstances that I am facing as a Christian. And this is what Paul was saying here as he's reaching this point of knowing him. So you see, because Paul wasn't just about being saved. It was about coming into an encounter with the living Lord in which we're not the same people. You can't go back to the same old hole again. You've met God face to face. Matter of fact, the school my son is going to there, uh, he made a choice. 75 men have made that choice. And I would try to perceive it from a distance. What was this school about and how it was going? And I would sit there through classes and teachings and prayer meetings. And I would hear the exhortations and a few uh, testimonies. And I began to realize the very same thing. Those men, whether they came for a different reason are coming to have an encounter with the living Lord. And this is where Paul was taking the church of Philippi as he was here. When he said that I would know him, he goes on, he doesn't end there. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know what his resurrection really means. I want to know what it does for the Christian. I want to know what it did for Jesus. 
I want to know his power in that resurrection. And he goes even farther when he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And he says, I want to understand what Jesus went through at the cross when he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. You see, sometimes we as Christians just kind of bump over the high places. We kind of catch the tops of Christianity and we miss uh, the places that God is saying, dive deeper. Go deeper, go further, go more inward. Let me speak to you and let me lead you in ways that uh, you may have not thought about before. When we were there at the Creation Museum, uh, one of the first things I noticed is they had a great big zip line that zipped across that whole facility, across this big lake. And, and I turned to my son and I said, you want to do the zip line? He says, yeah, let's do it. So we made an 11 o'clock appointment, and we got ready, and um, we got all of our gear on. They put these harnesses on, and all of a sudden, there I am, and I had never done that before. <laughs> and they said, all you got to do is just climb these, these stairs, and you're up at 48 feet, and then you just go, and we'll be there with you, but then you just go. And what I noticed is you kept getting up at the 48 feet. The higher you went up, the more unstable the 48-foot tower was. And I got up the top. My son's 30, so I'm a little bit older. And he says, Dad, you go first. <laughs> so I went first. And uh, there was a younger lady helping, young Christian girl there. They're all Christians. And She's done a lot of times, and she looked, and she says, any help you need? And I, you've got your strap. One hand holds the co this cord. One hand goes on top. You let go of that one to break. There's another person way on the other side. There's the lake. Now all you got to do is jump. <laughs> now, for some of you here, that would be nothing. But for me, it was different. Didn't any, probably didn't wait 30 seconds, but for 30 seconds, I said, you got to be crazy that you would ever enter into something like this so quickly, and you've never done nothing like this before. And we jumped, we went on out, I braked too early, ended up in the middle of the lake, or not in the middle, and had to backtrack in. But I made it. That was the first of five, and I think they took that picture right before we got on. So we looked kind of confident and was ready. You know, at the end of the day, I was talking to my son, and all of a sudden it came up, we got talking about it, and, and Jason said, Dad, had you ever done that before? And I said, no, I've never done that before. How about you? He says, no, I'd never done it before either. That's why I said, you go first. <laughs> and that is, but what is interesting is how God will take you to places where there is nothing left but to do what he asks you to do, and everything is in front of you, and yet you've never been there before. And when Paul was at this point that he was saying that he would know him and the power of his resurrection, Paul was at a place saying, I am going to train my mind to see Jesus like I've never seen him before. Look inside, look beyond, look in, inside him. Look to what Jesus has done for me. Now, Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11, some tremendous verses when Paul would write of this to the Roman brothers and sisters. And he said, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, here comes that resurrection, is never to die again. Death is no longer a master over him. The power of his resurrection declares he's not going to die again. He rises over that. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And then Paul reverses and says, now I want you to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as Paul is reaching this point of wanting to understand the power of the resurrection, he is speaking of that which is not just about Jesus. It's about him. It's about him as the Lord and Savior, that Jesus is within me. And as I walk with Jesus in this resurrected life, I experience this power over sin, over the world, over darkness, and I triumph through him. Brad used this verse, but I want to flip to it in, on the screen just again because it's so powerful regarding this, and we're looking into this. Notice this, though, that I, uh, he says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Hang on to that word as we're looking into this text this morning. Transformation. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is for which is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul is speaking of this little secret that many people can miss. And that is that God just isn't looking for redemption. He's not just looking for saved lives. He's looking for transformation. And this is where Paul is as he was here saying, I want to know God and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to experience transformation. I don't want to just be patched up. That's one thing I noticed uh, with the 75 guys that are all there. Some come there and they just want to be fixed. Some just want to be clean. Some want to get a new start in life. Some want to reset in their vocation. But the intention of that place is transformation. Maybe that's how it's been with some of us. I'm pretty sure most of us. We walk into church. We want to be saved. We want to have a, a new life in Jesus Christ. But for most of us, God doesn't let go. He keeps knocking on the door. He keeps on just like we look in the word of God today, and he keeps on saying, I want to transform life. I want something completely different. I want the power of the resurrection to be realized in your life. You're a resurrected person in Jesus Christ. And here is what Paul, where, he, where Paul was at. And in verse 11, he says this, and I noticed this, in order that I, no, no longer about Jesus, that I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. And Paul is simply saying, I want to be the guy. And you'll see later this goal and target of the apostle that just resonated with his being, even though he was just about at the end of his life. What I love about Paul, and I love it about many of you as Christians, I've been blessed as I've watched many of you older ones and even as we came here with volunteers, I thought about this. Many are coming towards the end of the finish line, but you're still running. 
for Jesus. Running for the Lord Jesus, giving all you've got toward the finish line. No one knows where that line is for any of us. It's a line that is, is somewhat mystical except in the eyes of God. The word of God says it's appointed to man once to die. Then there comes a judgment. But there is a finish line. And I see we can see this in the heart of Paul, that his heart was beating to be running at the end of the finish line. He wanted to cross the line a winner. He wanted to be on God's side. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that have ran the race that have stumbled and fell and stubbed our toes and skinned our knees and broke our legs and arms and everything else. But you know, one of the great encouragements, and this was even true with the apostle, is by God's grace, they get up and they keep running toward the finish line. Now, this is where Paul is. He was an impetuous guy. He, had, he was the persecutor of the church. He had done all kinds of things. But when it came down to this point of his life, he says, Lord, I am looking directly to you. I'm looking to your sacrifice. I'm looking to your death. I'm looking to your resurrection. And I'm also looking to how that resurrection impacts me. And God, I want to keep running. I want to give it all I have at the finish line. Now, in verse 12, he opens up something that is interesting when he says, not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect. Now, that word perfect that Paul has touched there in that particular tense is the word complete, the word mature. But he's saying, I'm not quite there yet. And you say, hold it. You are the man who taught position in Christ. You are the man who told us if we come by faith, we are a new creature, old things are passed away, and that is very true. But we find something that is amazing in the pendulum of the swing of the word of God. And in one side, we have been redeemed, born again, bought by his blood, separated unto him. But then we reach a point like Paul that he says, I'm pursuing a goal. I'm going after a target. And the finish line is out there. It's not today. You know, one of the things that so easily happens in a Christian's life is you just allow yourself to embrace the arrival mentality. It's somewhat subtle. It kind of creeps in. I've already got that figured out. I've read that. I've studied that portion of the word. I've done this. Matter of fact, these are some of the things we've done in our life. And we forget that Paul never let that grab him. It wasn't that he wasn't a saved man, separated into Jesus Christ. It was all the work of God, the power of God in Paul's life. But what Paul is driving at here is there is this spiritual hunger and thirst within my life that you may even be able to call wholesome spiritual discontentment that will not let go of me no matter how close I am to the finish line. It just keeps driving me. And this is why he's saying, no, I have not already obtained or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Notice the exchange. You know, a lot of times we talk about an exchange life. We give up our life. Jesus comes into us, gives us his life. And it's a beautiful truth of the word of God. But here Paul is speaking about some, something else. I will pursue the Lord Jesus with all I have at the finish line 
trying to lay hold on where he wants me to be just like he is laying hold on me. As he has loved me, I want to love others. As he has forgiven me, I want to forgive others. As he has served me, I want to serve others. You see this beautiful thing. He says, I'm seeking the finish line. I'm going to the end, remembering that God is the one from the very beginning that laid hold on me. I love the verse in 1 John where John says it like this. He says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. You see, when we are, when Paul is here, he is not saying, I'm going to do all these things. No, once he was a persecutor of the church, but now he's pursuing the Lord. One time he was a doubter, now and a disclaimer, and now he is a declarer of the truth and righteousness of the Lord God in every way. But let's notice how he's going to go about this because we start seeing a path that Paul follows, finds himself on. He says, I'm going to go back in verse 12 so we can go into the flow. Not that I have already obtained it or have already became perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You see that exchange? I lay hold, Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Now I lay hold. Christ Jesus loved me, now I love others. Brothers, I do not count myself as having laid hold of it yet. You say, you gotta be kidding. He did, through faith. But let's get the practical nature of what Paul was driving at. But this one thing I do, notice what he's doing. He's simplifying, simplifying, and simplifying. This one thing I do. I've got one thing to do. I'm gonna forget what lies behind and I'm going to reach out to what is before. And notice these in the one thing, two things are happening. He's forgetting what lies behind. If you read in the Word of God, you see one of the places the enemy went after Paul. He hit him as a persecutor of the church. He told him, you're not worthy to be apostle. He whispered his lie in his ear, just like he does to each of us. But Paul said this, I forget what is behind me. I reach forth to what is before me. And this is so important. I remember one, of the, one time our safety director in our company was giving a talk on safety and driving large trucks. And I, it, it caught me at first. He worked for me. And he says, I wish I could rip out every rearview mirror in every truck that you guys are driving. Because there's more accidents by looking through the rearview mirror than almost anything else in the vehicle besides texting. I go, Wow. He says, you got to get them out. You've got to look at your side mirrors. You can't look through the rearview mirror because it will deter you from where you're going. And it's a deadly move. And when Paul is speaking of this, he's saying this is a deadly move to look back very long. you got to look forward. And if we get this together and we look at this together, he speaks of this pressing. We begin to find this word pressing. But I press on... Not, verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or become perfect. I have not reached my end yet. Yes, the time of his departure is at hand. It's really close to the end. But I press on so that I may lay hold for that for which also 
I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself of having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, there we are again, reach, forgetting what lies behind first, reaching forward to what lies ahead. Sometimes we've got to lay aside the weight before we can run the race. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing. That little word, dioko, is a word that speaks about just, I'm entering in, I've got my eye on the target. It's like the quarterback in the football team that is going against the opposition. He has one goal, he wants to make the touchdown. And he's going to do it however he can with all the resources that surround him. In the Christian life, there are many similarities, not perfectly parallel. But God gives us many kinds of resources to press on. He gives us brothers and sisters. He gives us a church. He gives us his word. He gives us the inner working of the Holy Spirit that empowers us. But then Paul comes to this point. He says, I press on, and notice where he's going, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's vision is up. It's higher. It's very high. Maybe some of you have read, it, read about this the last few weeks, but uh, it's really a tragedy, but it's happened, I believe, back in 2015 also. But on top of Mount Everest, just in the last month to month and a half, over 10 people have lost their lives as they were, had four days per month in the month of May and June to get to the top of that mountain. And 500 people were, were going towards the top of that mountain. But what it did, it filled up completely the path so you were completely dependent upon the people who were before you and behind you. And many people were up there, not at 29,000 feet yet, but they lost their lives. They couldn't make it. They were pressing toward the goal at 29,000 feet. They never made it. But what is beautiful about Paul is he says he presses on toward the goal of the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. It's it's not packed. The word of God even says it's a straight gate. It's a narrow way. Many go thereat, but few find it. But when you get there, there's room to walk for Jesus. And it's not limited to 29,000 feet either. The mountain of God just keeps going and expanding in the most beautiful ways. And when the apostle is here, he is just spe speaking about how he just keeps going toward the goal. At the end of the day at the Creation Museum, we we're just about ready to go out to the car, and all of a sudden there was a group, a large group of people that had been there all wearing light blue T-shirts from the same church in Oklahoma, and it had been kind of fun to watch them during the day. They were joyful and radiant, but the day was coming to the end, and they all were stopped at the top of the zip line where it all began for me. And I stood there, and I looked, and I gathered around with them, and sure enough, here was a large sister up there standing at the edge and they were telling her to go. And they were saying, just go. And she was looking, and she wasn't going. And I don't know how long she stood there. It may have been five minutes. And the church was just saying, go, jump, go, it's okay. And she looked, and she looked at her harness, and she looked around her. 
And I walked over to a policeman and I says, do they all go? And they says, no. You walk, watch a lot of them come down that 48-foot stair all the way to the bottom. They just don't go. And finally, what was so beautiful is she did go. She just made that move. It wasn't big. She just jumped. But at that point, that was her focus. There was nothing else. The crowd was rooting her. They were saying, jump, go. And then she took off. And what was interesting, as that crowd began to cheer for that dear woman, it wasn't just that crowd anymore. All these bystanders were gathering around, and they were all cheering too as she shot out over that lake and went to the other side. Now, the Word of God says many times we are, we are, there's a great cloud of witnesses that are in Christ Jesus. But what I want us to get from that little truth is that woman made the step that she knew she needed to make in spite of all the doubt that she was facing to triumph. And that's the natural. When we look at this in the spiritual, it is, has some amazing parallels. God says, cast all your care upon me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in your heart. Come unto me, all you that labor. God has this amazing parallel, but he takes us to a place that against every doubt the enemy wants to put there, he says, go. And amazing things happen when God gets involved, and we all know that story. But Paul is here in verse 14, as he says, I press on toward the goal of, for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. He knew where he was going. His eye was on the prize. It was up, and he was going to give it all he got through the Spirit of God within him. As God was laying hold of him, he would be laying hold of the goal, and he was going to give it all he's got. Let us, verse 15, therefore, and Paul now spreads it out. See, Paul has been speaking of himself here and his target, his goals, his intentions. He's opening up a little bit about his life. And then he says, and let us, and now he spreads it out. Let us, therefore, in lieu of that which I have been sharing with you at Philippi. And so now it came to us as a surprise to the word of God. As many as are perfect, complete, mature, who have been filled with the Spirit of God, let us, as many as are perfect, be thus-minded. Have this attitude. I believe another translation says, be thus-minded. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. You know, I love that verse because what Paul is saying is, it's not about me, it's about us. You see, the word just keeps on spreading. God just keeps on saying, it's you can do it too, John. You can do it young. Last night, we were privileged to baptize a 13-year-old girl. Matter of fact, I got asked her, what do you like to do in life? I had never met her, but her and her parents sit right in this front row on Saturday night. And she says, I love to be a catcher playing baseball. And I said, that's kind of interesting because they made me be a catcher, and I didn't want to be a catcher. I wanted to be an outfielder. But here was a young girl saying, God, I'll take the first step toward the upward prize, the high calling God. I've given my heart to Jesus, but I will publicly profess him before everybody here in this church. And here's this little girl that just said yes to God and how special that was. 
But Paul said something so beautiful. He says, if any of you have a different attitude, you say, I'm not, I'm not going there. And I think probably all of us have had that different attitude at times. I have taken enough of that. I don't have to go there. I don't have to do that anymore. Paul said this, and I love it, because he's acknowledging the power of God working in the Christian's life. If any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. You know what? God will teach you. God will show you. You know what Paul's saying? I'm not God. I'm not your policeman. I'm not the guy with the big whip. God will show you in his perfect way, just like he's showing me. And he'll reveal to you what you're you're to do. And he'll open up his word and just show you how great he is. And this is what Paul says. If any of you have this attitude, God will reveal it to you in his own beautiful and perfect time. Let us, therefore, he goes, as many as are perfect. And I love that word again. It's that telcos, complete. It's mature, 11 times used in this manner. Matthew 5 and 48, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. James 1 and 4, and let endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And here God is just speaking through James and through Jesus, saying perfection has a beautiful way of manifesting itself and coming out in a Christian's life. It's not sinlessness. It's not without trial. It isn't that I have arrived, it is that I am in Jesus Christ complete. When he did a work in me, as incomplete as I may feel at times, I am complete in him. He has done that which I could never do to make me what I could never be. And then Paul just comes to that point when he says, uh, as, he, as he shares here, that uh, Let's, let's have that same attitude. And what he's saying is, Church of Philippi, I'm asking you to look at the focal point that's coming out of a Roman prison right before I will die. I will give my life. Look at my passion of my heart and let it become your passion. Let it become what God is doing in your life also. I think a lot of times God, and even as I was praying, I was thinking about this, how patient God is with all of us and, and the ways and the places that uh, he moves. And my son Jason and I were blessed. And Debbie also, along the trail, they have a little prayer trail where the school is. And about every 100 yards, there's just a little plaque with a verse, with a chair. And they, they encourage people just to walk the trail, spend a couple hours, and just sit at the verse, let God speak, and I asked him, I said, how long does it take you to walk that half a mile or three quarters of a mile prayer trail? And he says, probably two hours. Because you just keep on meditating. But one of the things I noticed about those plaques is those plaques were all speaking of the mercy and patience of God. Everyone. These men were coming there saying, I need help. I really need help. And these plaques were saying, just sit and soak and meditate and see how patient I am, because I'm God. 
And I look out here today and I see each of you and I realize that you are a result of that kind of work in your life. You ever think about how patient God has been with us? How many times God just could have knocked us down, hung it up, and God just waits and loves and is patient. We stopped at, along the trail, and there was a gentleman sitting there. And they don't encourage a lot of talking, but this guy was sitting there, and, he, and I said, Would you, do you have time to share your testimony? And he says, it's just an amazing story of God because I have fallen and risen and fallen and risen and fallen and risen and fallen and risen, and God finally brought me to this little campus and I'm discovering the Lord Jesus and how much he loves me in a deeper level than I ever knew. And I need that so much. It's also true with us. I sit listening to this guy. He says, I don't want to leave. I'm just about ready to leave the campus. And I'm going to go on, I think, and be a counselor. But I don't really want to leave. Because I have encountered God here. But I remember something he said, I didn't come here for that. I just wanted to get over one habit of my life. But that wasn't even what they focused on. They focused on me encountering God. And I believe this is what Paul is sharing here as he comes to the end of the chapter. And as he spreads out and he says, let us therefore as many as are perfect, you have found that redemption. You have found that peace. You have found that grace. Have this attitude that you're going to press on toward the upward call and the prize, the high calling God, Jesus. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal this also to you. But then he ends up this chapter and he says, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. And he says, together, let's keep seeking God. He is our source. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He's our power. He's our all in all. He is the great I am. And this is where we want to leave this today with you, is that we have the privilege also, no matter where we're at, to begin just like the Apostle Paul here and say, Lord, I just want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. You know where I am in my maturity. You know where I failed. I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. I want to know how you were conformed, how I can be conformed to your death. And then I also want to know how I might obtain to the resurrection of the dead. It's a very noble goal. It's a great calling for God's children. It's a beautiful calling. It's the upward call in Christ Jesus. It's the calling that can possess us until we're, we're through here. We might be in prison. We might lose the physical resources of our life, but we, this never needs to be taken away from us that we can seek God and find him in the most amazing way and places as we give our heart to him and he does mighty things. If there's anyone here today who has not encountered the living God face to face, if you've never received the Lord Jesus as your savior, Maybe you've went to church all your life. I heard those, that story from this guy on the bench. He said, I was a good churchgoer. I had the phrases. I had the philosophies. I had the concepts. But 
He goes, I didn't know until God, by his grace, brought me here. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said it was about a relationship with the living God. And my life changed. And this is what it's about. Yes, we worship here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. We live in Surprise, Arizona. We're blessed to live in USA. But what it's really about is a relationship with Jesus. But he wants you as his redeemed, chosen one more than anything else. You know, one of the things they told my son when he got there, his counselor looked at him, he said, Jason, leave your religious bag at the door and come on in. Because what you've got to see here is Jesus Christ. And he said, and when you walk out the door, don't pick it back up again. Some of us need to leave those bags at the door. And you let God begin to work and do marvelous things. And by his grace, we don't have to ever pick it up again because we are embraced with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the word, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that you have given us through your word challenges that we can never obtain to except through you. But you challenge us back, Lord, that wherever we're at, we're not done yet. We're not home yet, Father. Oh, Father, I pray for everyone that's here this morning. I pray that your spirit can speak to every heart. However you choose, Lord, you reveal to us where we need to be. You show us the way to go. You reveal the places that we need you so deeply, and yet you also reveal the victories and the joys. Father, we pray that our, our hands and our feet and our hearts can be touched as we leave this place today because we have met you again. And we see you possibly even from a little different perspective, Lord. We see you today. Have your way, Father, in all of our lives, in every heart. And may your glory be revealed in this church, Father, in this sanctuary, as your name is lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.